Tonight is the first of four sessions in which I'm going to teach you how to teach a Bible study to your friends. I've chosen the life and times of Jesus Christ. It's a four-week Bible study. It's made for young people to teach young people. And you're going to see just how easy it is. For purposes of these four sessions and for social media and promotions, I've chosen to call this simply Jesus because the life and times of Jesus Christ is a little too lengthy. But if you're interested, this Bible study is called the life and times of Jesus Christ. You can teach any Bible study, as I've pointed out in the past, um, to your friends. There's many. There's Beyond Belief. There's Bible Study in a Bag, uh, Into His Marvelous Light, whichever one you choose. I've chosen this one because... It's a fairly in-depth look at the life of Jesus Christ, why He came and died for our sins, and then ultimately the plan of salvation. And uh, it does that over four weeks, which I think is just long enough um, to walk somebody through the very important elements of the Bible and elements of salvation. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to we have our stage set up like a living room. I'm going to sit down and uh, we're going to have three students come up and be volunteers to, to have me teach them the Bible study just like I would and just like you can if you were teaching your friends. And um, it's going uh, to be a very enlightening experience, I believe, for you. And uh, our goal tonight is to get you equipped to get you out in the field. All right, guys, how you doing? Well, uh, did you get you some coffee? Did you get you some cookies? Everybody feeling okay? Yeah? No? All right. Okay, well, this, um, I'm so glad you're here tonight uh, just to, to spend a little time in the Word of God. And, and, you know, the Word of God has made such a difference in my life. And uh, what I'm getting ready to share with you about Jesus Christ and about how He can come and make a difference in your life is going to be incredible and it's going to be life-changing. What we're going to do, uh, the, the name of this Bible study is simply called The Life and Times of Jesus Christ. We're just going to talk about who Jesus is, some important events in His life, what He did for us uh, to save us, and we're going to talk about how you can be born again into the kingdom of God. So I want you to stick with me. Um, did you bring your Bibles? Yeah, awesome. All right, well, we got two. All right. Okay. All right. The first thing we're going to talk about, as you'll see on the, on the chart, is why Jesus came. Who, who is Jesus and why was it necessary for Him to come? To answer that question, we go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, the Bible says, In the beginning, God. So everything started with God. Um, and the, the book of Genesis chapter 1 goes on to talk about how God created everything that we see, all of the, uh, the earth, the universe, everything that's in the earth. And then last, he actually even created us as human beings. He created us. The Bible says he breathed into us and we actually became a living soul. And that was different than any other uh, thing that he created. Um, because the other, all of the animals, the plants, the trees, the, the universe, the planets do not have a living soul. But you and I have living souls. We're eternal because God breathed the breath of life in us. When he made the first man and the first woman who were Adam and Eve, 
He put them in a perfect place. He put them in the Garden of Eden. There was no sin in the world. There was no, um, there was no pain. There was no heartache. And uh, it was abso absolutely a paradise. It was actually a perfect place. And a bad thing happened. The devil, the enemy, who had been kicked out of heaven prior for rebelling against God, came and tempted the man and the woman to sin. God had told them that they could eat of any fruit and any tree in the garden except the garden or except the uh, fruit of the tree of life. The Satan came, the enemy came, and he tempted them to eat that fruit anyway. And when they did, sin entered into the world. They became sinners. And sin always separates mankind from God because God is holy, because he's perfect. He cannot dwell where sin is. So when Adam and Eve sinned, it, it cut off that perfect relationship and that perfect unity that they had with God. Now, Adam and Eve were meant to live forever. When God breathed into them, a living soul, they were meant to live forever in that perfect paradise. But because of sin, they're still going to live forever. But now they had to incur Judgment. They had to incur judgment. If you'll turn into your Bible, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, and if you'll go to verse 16 and verse 17, and I'd like for one of you to volunteer to read that verse, and we're going to see that Adam and Eve were a living, eternal soul, and that sin separated them from God. Who would like to read it? Marla, you look like you've got it. You don't, you don't got it. Okay. Christian, you look like you've got it. We'll just go down the road. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. And then read 16 and 17 for me. Um, and the Lord God commanded the man, say, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest, uh, therefore thou shalt surely die. Okay, so... They disobeyed God, and death was introduced to the picture. Now, Haley, if you would turn, if you don't mind reading for me, in Romans chapter 5, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we're going to talk about what sin does. Sin always brings about death. Sin always brings about death. <laughs> you got it? Any luck? Here you go. Read 323. Okay, and then if you would flip over just a couple more chapters to chapter 6 and read verse 23. Good, good. So that shows that um, any time sin or when sin was entered into the picture, it brought about death and it brought about God's judgment. It brought about really, you could call it the curse of sin. Okay. But here's what's so amazing is that when Adam and Eve sinned, or I should say when, when sin entered into the world through them, and by default now everybody born after them was born into sin, the Bible says. 
God did judge their sin. The Bible says that um, that actually Adam would have to toil the the ground and he'd have to work by the sweat of his brow from then on. That was his judgment. Eve, the Bible said that she would incur pain during childbirth. That was her judgment. The uh, the the serpent had to crawl on his belly and eat the dust. That was his judgment. So they were judged in that regard. But in a bigger sense, in a grander scheme of things, God also, with His judgment, provided redemption. And, and that's amazing to me. And that's really one of the central points of our lesson tonight is that God loves us so much that even in our sin, even when we deserve judgment, He provides a means and a way of redemption. And it's because of His divine love for us. Remember, we're His creation. Remember, He made us. And so He loves us passionately. So God, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, when sin enters the world, they're separated. God started a plan of how He could reconnect with humanity. How could a holy God reconnect with sinful humanity? And the way he decided to do that was to wrap himself in flesh and come to earth and die for our sins as the man, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God is love. He's not just that he does love or that he expresses love. His very essence is love. He is love. And that's what separates Christianity from every other religion every other God that might be out there, every other belief system, is that our God loved us enough to come to earth Himself. Other gods, you, you take any other religion, you take any other gods, most of those, they want their followers to do something for them. But our God did something for us. He, he became one of us and died for our sins. And that's what we're going to study here. So if we'll go to the next chart, um, Brother Chuck, um, we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. So how did that happen? God wrapped in flesh and dwelt among us. Well, His birth was very humble. You know, you would think that the King of all the universe, the King of all humanity, would have been born with great fanfare, great pomp and circumstance, you know, just as a, you know, a grand announcement. But actually the opposite was true. When Jesus Christ was born, it was done with very little fanfare, and many people missed it. Many people didn't even know that he was even born. But the Bible says in Luke one thirty one, Marla, you gonna read? No? Okay. Uh, Christian, in Luke one thirty one, the Bible says that G that the angel Gabriel appeared to a virgin by the name of Mary and and announced that she was gonna give birth to a son. And that his name should be called Jesus. So you got that, Christian? Luke 1, 31. Read that for us. Oh, and behold, <laughs> oh, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth thy son and shalt call his name Jesus. Alright, so what made this so special? Of course, as I mentioned, Mary was a virgin. She was not even yet married. She was engaged, but she was not married. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost overshadowed her and she conceived uh, the, the baby Jesus Christ. So it was um, a divine conception. It was a divine, miraculous uh, miracle in her body. And so 
in a very real sense, Jesus' father was not Joseph, who Mary later married. His father was the Holy Spirit, and he became, he, that's how he was born. So it was an amazing, amazing uh, event. If we go to the next chart, the Bible says that uh, after it became very obvious that Mary was uh, going to have this Christ child, this divine child, that the angel also appeared to Joseph, who was her engaged spouse or spouse-to-be, and said, look, do not worry about what's going on. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is in her is conceived of the Holy Ghost. And he took the angel at his word. Shortly thereafter, the, uh, the king, uh, or Caesar, I should say, levied a tax and, and did a uh, census. So Mary and Joseph had to travel to their hometown of Bethlehem to respond to the census and to also uh, pay their taxes. And it was there, over 70 miles that they had to travel to Bethlehem, that Jesus was born in the most humble of circumstances. He was born in a lowly cattle stable. He was put in a manger, which is the feeding trough for the animals. That's where Mary put him to keep him warm. She wrapped him in cloth and laid him in that manger to keep him warm. You know, again, a king of all kings, the God of the universe, he could have been born into any circumstance that he wanted. Yet he was born in a cattle stable, and his, his crib was a cattle trough. Very humble beginnings, very unassuming beginnings. And I don't know if you guys have ever watched the, uh, the Bible series that they did here a while back. I've not seen it in its entirety. But the section on the birth of Jesus was amazing to me because it went into some of what the birth of Christ might have been like. And it was just, to me, the word I, I kind of got out of it was that it was a big mess. It was just a big, messy thing. There was no sterile hospital and doctors with masks and caps and gloves. It was just a very messy situation in a very uh, filthy cattle, cattle stall where he was born. But I believe what he was trying to tell us in that, I believe it was a metaphor, to tell us that, hey, I'm the God of your mess. I'm the God that wants to get into your life no matter how messy it is. No matter how jacked up you feel like your life is or your relationships are, or your family is, I was the I was born the God of your mess. And to me, that gives me great hope. That gives me great peace. That gives me great comfort. That my God cares about me, even in my darkest circumstances, even my biggest trials, no matter what's going on in my life. It's not too big for him. It's not too crazy for him. He wants to be in my life no matter what's going on. That's the God that I'm telling you about, and that's the God that I serve. Amazing thing about Jesus, and just to give you a concept here, he was he was what we call the God Man. He was one hundred percent God, divine, but he was also one hundred percent man. And again, the cool thing about that is, is that as a man, as a human being, he knows exactly what we go through. The Bible says he su he suffered the same things that we suffer. He was tempted the same ways that we're tempted. He had the same fight, the same battle that we have. Yet he was without sin because he was 100% divine. Let's go to uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16. And we're going to read a little bit about how he was God in flesh. He was God in flesh. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Anybody got it? 
You got it, Haley? You ready? Go ahead. First Timothy three sixteen. Yeah. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. Gentiles. Believed on the on in the world, received of into All right, and uh, Christian, if you'll get Matthew one. 21 through 23. So what Haley just read, you read that God was manifest in the flesh. So we're talking about God in in flesh. He was 100% God. And then what Christian's getting in Matthew is going to further that point. Matthew 1, 21 through 23. Yeah, 1, 21 through 23. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, and it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin called thee with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which bring interpreted is God with us. God with us. That's it. So it was God with us. Literally God with us. And so that's the point I want to make there is that Jesus was 100% God. Of course, he was also 100% human. So as a human, he hungered. He got The Bible tells us he was hungry. Um, as a human, he got angry. Now, he didn't sin. He was without sin. But as a human, he got angry and drove out the people out of the temple that were using church to make money. The Bible says they were money changers and they were selling stuff and they were they were turning the, the house of God into a uh, into a um, basically a retail establishment. So as a human he displayed human attributes. But think about this, as God, the same, as where he was hungry as a human, as God he multiplied the fish and the bread and fed 5000. You know, as as uh, God he was able to walk on the waves in the storm. Uh, with his disciples, as God, he rose, he rose from he he raised the dead. Um, so he had both attributes. He was a hundred percent God. He's a one hundred percent human. The Bible also tells us that God is a spirit. So we we know that he was God manifest in the flesh as a human, but God is also a spirit, and that's found in John four twenty four. And I'll just quote that for you, so we can we can keep going. I, I don't want to lose our time, but the Bible just says God is a spirit. And those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So the way to think about this is, the way to look at it is, uh, he's, he's, he's our God. In this, uh, he fulfilled the role of God as our Creator, as the Creator of the universe, as the Creator of mankind. He was God. He was a man. He, he was Jesus as our Savior. And He's this Holy Spirit as our Comforter or as the Holy Spirit inside of us. So Creator, Savior, and Comforter. And the Bible tells us that all three functions of God are one and the same God. So it's not God, three distinct persons or three distinct uh, people. It's one God acting in three different roles. God as creator, God as savior, and God as Holy Spirit or comforter. One God manifesting in three roles. Colossians 2 and 9 just says, great is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh. And so he, he but these three are one. So that's a little bit of background on the birth of Jesus Christ and who he is. Now let's go to his childhood. This is the next chart. 
and actually the final chart of this particular lesson. We don't know a lot about Jesus Christ's childhood. The Bible, after, after the time he was about two years old, the Bible goes silent uh, about his childhood until he was 12. And then it picks up the story when he was 12. But we can be certain that his childhood was just like any other Jewish boy upbringing would have been. He went to school. Uh, we know that he was an apprentice to his dad, and his dad was a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter, so he learned carpentry by trade. Um, he would have gone to church and listened to the rabbis preach and teach, just like any Jewish boy that, um, that would have lived during that day. And so, even though we don't know a lot of specifics about Jesus in his early life, we do know that he would have had a cultural Jewish upbringing, just like anybody else. When he was 12, the Bible tells us that his uh, mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, had gone to the Passover to celebrate. To, they'd gone to Jerusalem to, to celebrate the Feast of the Passover, which was a Jewish custom. And that somewhere in all of that, Jesus got lost in the crowd. Or maybe a better way to say it is that Mary and Joseph got separated from Jesus. And so they were halfway back home when they realized Jesus wasn't with them. And so, of course, as any parent would do, they desperately went back searching for Jesus. And the Bible says that they found him in Jerusalem, in the temple, teaching and debating the finer points of the law with the rabbis and with the scribes and with the Pharisees. In other words, he was talking to the smart people. He was talking to the people that were doctors and, and lawyers and people that knew the law. They, these were like professors at a college, if you will. He was debating the finer points of the law with them. And when Mary and Joseph asked him, they were like, Hey, what in the world are you doing? We've been searching everywhere for you. Why weren't you with us? And he makes a very important statement here. He says, Didn't you know I would be about my father's business? And so this is like our first glimpse. And who knows, it might have been Mary and Joseph's first glimpse into his mission. Into the reason why Jesus Christ came to the earth. He like he was saying basically, I have a mission. I have been sent with a very specific assignment and I'm going to be fulfilling that. And it kind of marked, no doubt it kind of marked a shifting or a change in Jesus's life and in how he was looked at by his parents and maybe even how he was looked at by others that, hey, this, this kid is different. There's something different about this guy. He knows things that a 12-year-old shouldn't know. He's able to have conversations with these scribes and Pharisees that a 12-year-old shouldn't be able to have. He obviously is different than everybody else. And so we get this little glimpse into the fact that he had a mission and a reason for being here. Understand, though, that with all of this, knowing his mission and knowing uh, that he was different than the others and knowing what he would ultimate, his ultimate destiny would be, which would be to die on the cross for our sins, by no means did Jesus live a sheltered life or a life different than you and I. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, um, as, as flesh, as a human being, he suffered or he experienced life just like you and I did. So think about what that means. That means that he felt peer pressure just like you and I feel peer pressure. He was tempted to, to go hang with the bad crowd just like you and I were tempted to hang with the bad crowd. He experienced bad day. You know, he experienced um, disappointment. You know, he, 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 dis, he experienced all of the emotions that we experience on a daily basis. He went through all of that. And the Bible says that he was without sin, so he didn't succumb to those. He overcame them. But the takeaway is, and the comforting thing is, is that he knows where you and I live. 
So again, to me, this is a hum- this is an enormous distinction between any other god of any other religion. Is that our God actually lives where we live, or lived where we live. He walked in our shoes. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to face bad days. He knows what it's like to face bullies. He knows what it's like to face depression. All of those things he experienced, yet he overcame them. So if he comes to us and he says, uh, hey, I've got a plan for your life. I've got a map for your life. And if you'll obey it, I'm going to help you overcome these things. I'm going to offer you a solution to these things just like I had. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be something you want to take advantage of? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what this journey is going to be all about over the next four weeks. We're going to talk about how you can experience Jesus Christ in your life and you can experience his roadmap to salvation to salvation and a roadmap to an overcoming lifestyle that will give you victory over these things just like it gave him victory over these things as well. So to me... It gives great hope. So, the takeaway tonight, and I conclude with this, is that God Almighty, who could have come at humanity in judgment, decided instead to come at us in love. He decided to express His love to us by coming to earth wrapped in flesh. And the takeaway scripture tonight is hopefully one you can quote, but just in case you can't, I'm going to quote it for you. The Bible says this, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave... Think about that, love. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. So that's what this is all about. It's about showing you the unlimited and unexhaustible love of God and that you can have eternal life by believing in that love. Do you have any questions? Was there anything that I went through too, too fast or anything you want to come back and talk about a little bit more? It's all good? Alright, go ahead. Um, like, God, you know how you said that God has went through everything that we've been through? Mm-hmm. Like, but they didn't have social media back right? Like, what was that? Like, right. What, like, cyber <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a good question. All right. Have you ever heard the Have you ever heard these uh, expressions? Same girl, different dress. Have you ever heard that? Well, I think a lot of times the enemy's tactics could be summarized as the same girl, different dress. So the temptations, the struggles, the the things that come at us like bullying. None of that's new. Down through the, t- through the eons of time, everybody has experienced it. Think about it. I mean, it's the human condition, right? We, we have ups and downs. We have people that want to bully us. We have people that uh, do us wrong. We have relationships that are broken. That's, that's the human condition. That started all the way back with Adam and Eve when they sinned. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve, first couple in the world, they have two boys. It's not long before we have the first murder, right? So they've got, they've got a jacked up family right out of the box. So it's the same issues. What happens is, is over time, over time, the dress changes or the, uh, the vehicle through which those things come at us changes. So these days we have a very real um, protagonist 
through social media. So, me, so bullying can come in the form of social media. Temptation can come in the form of media, whatever. It's nothing new. It's not different. It's just a different vehicle through which it's coming. Does that make sense? You get, you got that? So Jesus, no, he didn't have Twitter. He didn't have Instagram. He didn't get cyberbullied. But he did face those things just in a different form. So he's experienced them just like we have. Maybe not in the same, they weren't delivered to him in the same vehicle that they were delivered to him. Great question. Absolutely great question.